The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. NBA All-Rookie Team, which, you know, uh, Bill Simmons has been thinking about for the last three weeks um, since he said all those shady things about Jalen Green. Uh, the rookie team was released. Not a ton of surprises, but here they are. First team, Scotty Barnes, Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green. Yes, sir, Jalen Green made the team. Evan Mobley and Franz Wagner. Of interest to me is the fact that the top four picks from the 2021 draft all made the all-rookie team, which is it means that this draft was good. It was a good draft. 100% top-heavy, giving great value, even kind of like below three. The lowest-drafted player on the team is actually Franz Wagner, who was taken eighth by Orlando. So you're getting, you're getting Scotty Barnes, Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, and, and Franz Wagner. Fun stuff. Obviously, you know, uh, Jalen Suggs didn't make the team. Scotty Barnes did. He was taken at five. So that's interesting stuff. Actually, no, it's one, two, three, five, and eight, not four. And then NBA All-Rookie second team, Ayo Desunmu, who I think we all kind of figured out would go there, Chris Duarte for the Pacers, Josh Giddy from Oklahoma City, Bones Highland from Denver, number 26, Herb Jones taken at 35. Second team is fascinating to me. It includes... Three players who were drafted at the end of the first round or well into the second round. Giddy, of course, was drafted six overall. You could probably make the case if the OKC wasn't tanking and Giddy played a full season and they wasn't out for some random injury that wasn't real. He could have made all rookie first team. Like he could have probably taken over Jalen Green, especially since Jalen Green, a lot of his um, strengths happened at the end, the tail end of the season. Top draft picks who did not make the all-rookie team. The player probably who has the biggest gripe about not making the NBA all-rookie team is Chris Duarte. He had 13, 4, and 2. Really good early. Not so good late. But again, really hard to showcase yourself when your team is basically shutting you down on purpose because they want to get the ping-pong balls again. Indy knew very quickly, even though Indiana has been known of be just basically succumbing to being mediocre. They're okay with that. They've never liked being in the lottery for some reason. They're not all about the rebuild. The owner has said that on multiple occasions, but they realized uh, this train ain't stopping, so we might as well just lean into it or we're getting smushed. So that's what they had. Also, I think another gripe is probably Trey Mann. He had a great year. He finished 10th in rookie scoring. He had a very positive, he had a positive win share on a really bad OKC team. And then Alperin Shangoon. Had a really solid year as well. 10, 5, and 3. We can go through some of the other ones. Jalen Suggs did okay. 12, 8, and 6. The 8's pretty impressive. 
Jonathan Kaminga, once he finally got on the court, 9-3-1. and one, He's playing in the playoffs right now-ish. Davion Mitchell, 12-2-4 off the bench. Zaire Williams was really good. He had some flashes in the playoffs, 8-2-1. James Booknight got awful. He barely even sniffed the floor. He was, take, he was taken at 11th. Probably the biggest bust of the draft was James Booknight at 11. He fell like a rock, and he probably should have fell even further. I don't even think James Booknight should have been a first-round pick, honestly. Gross. Uh, Josh Primo, another bust. Very very much of a reach from San Antonio. He put up 6-2-2. Two, and two. Chris Duarte, like I said, he had 13-4-2. and two. Moses Moody at 14 Corey Kispert at 15. So there's just some other notables that weren't on any team. But the interesting thing to me was how deep this draft was. 25 players averaged six points or more per game. 11 had 10 or more points per game. The only non-European drafter, the only non-European player drafted in 2021 who didn't get minutes on his team was this kid Jason Preston out of Ohio. Drafted by Orlando, of course, some random spot, and then he ends up getting traded to the Clippers, and then he suffers a season-ending injury, and we've n- we'll never hear of him again. We'll never hear this guy's name until, like, after me saying it now, you'll never hear of it again. So with the 2022 draft rapidly coming up, we're going to be spending a ton of time breaking down these prospects, what teams actually need versus what they say they want, right? Because that's all about, like, oh, are we going to take the best available? Are you going to take for fit? Are you going to take for upside? Are you going to try to limit risk? All that stuff is something that you Is there going to be character concerns? Because you know that's going to come out. Some random Twitter post from like 2000 and... How old are these kids? So like 2010, 12, whatever it is. Like I just want to make sure they're not toddlers when I'm talking about the Twitter dates. It's like, yeah, it's like 2017. Uh, But it is great looking back and seeing what a crazy good draft 2021 was, given that I think a lot of people in advance thought it would be somewhat weak. Hopefully 2022 is better than we think as well. Can't find out until the kids get on the floor. one we denied the one we pushed off to the side the one that we decided wasn't capable of winning for a variety of different reasons despite the fact that that two years ago they were in the finals and they have Jimmy Butler and they play really good defense and they're one of the best coach teams in the NBA and also by the way slight caveat they were the number one team in the east so like Miami for some reason everybody's just like I don't see it I don't see it maybe a little time off helped Not sure. I think uh, it's a very, very interesting series here, right? These the Heat heard the haters loud and clear, and put a straight beat down on the Boston Celtics in a way that shocked probably even the worst Miami critic. They made Boston look as bad as they've looked since they were twenty five and twenty five at at times. Boston, of course, got out to an early lead, but once halftime came, boy. Woo! It was whoop bad trick time. Even without Horford and Smart, Boston had an eight-point lead going into halftime. And I was like, they must be feeling themselves. They must be still riding that adrenaline from Game 7 with the Bucks. Like, something's going on. Maybe they'll just, like, beat, beat Miami up. Maybe Miami wasn't good. But what they forgot, Boston, was that 
Miami doesn't have Budenholzer holes coaching this team. <laughs> like, halftime adjustments are coming, sir. They are coming. Eric Spolstra is in charge, and he's done this a long time. He's been to the finals a lot. Five times, I think. He did three with Braun. I think he was on the staff. Four with Braun. And then the last one. And then was he on staff with, uh, with the Dwayne Wade series? He might have been a video assistant there. Five at least, we know. Five at least. So how good was his halftime adjustment? Really, really, really good. The Celtics got just destroyed from the opening possession of the second half. They got outscored 20-2 to two out of the blocks. 39-14 to 14 in the third quarter. Boston did not score their first basket until 4.53 left. Over seven minutes without a, a one single bucket. And you know who was important? P.J. Tucker. Even off like his bum ankle, which he, I think he twisted in the first half, P.J. Tucker shut Tatum and Brown down. And I tell you what, as Tatum's primary defender, P.J. Tucker held Tatum 0 for 3 shooting and basically put him in jail the entire second half. And that was after coming back from what I said, nasty ankle injury. Jimmy Butler was also really, really good. Like, to the point where I can't doubt. He's just, maybe he just sucks in the regular season. And maybe that's just it. Maybe he's just really good in the playoffs and that's it. He's just... He's hitting shot after shot. I've called him Jiminy Brickets like in the times. He was bad last last year, though, against Milwaukee. He was awful. He was really bad. Very inconsistent. He was hitting brick after brick. Anyway, I got to give Jimmy Butler his flowers. I can't slander him last year. Right now, he's really good. He's excellent. He has said, everybody was sleeping on me. Yes, we were. And now we are not. Jimmy Butler's point prop tonight is for game two. 26 and a half points, I think he'll hit that. I'm worried, of course, you think about the regression to the mean. But he's balling right now. He's balling right now. Game two going to be tough tonight. No Derek White, no Horford. Marcus Smart's probably going to play, but he's limping on a fractured foot. I mean, this Boston team is a hospital wing. Horford has COVID. And now Derek White just had a baby. Congratulations to Derek White. Cannot wait to see how Boston adjusts or tries to adjust to replicate the first half of game one throughout the second half. Let's talk about Dallas Golden State. First and foremost, probably one of the better coaching efforts that we've seen from Steve Kerr in years. In a crucial moment. Probably, you know, sit back, refresh yourself. Watch the games on TV. See if anything sticks out. He had COVID for like four straight games or something. He's bothering his wife, making her, forcing her to watch TV with him watching games. She said she'll never do that again. <laughs> I bet he's awful. I bet he says so much stuff that she doesn't understand. Like, catch the pin down. Catch the, get him on the backside. Yeah, he's literally like drawing things up for her. She said, I do not care. I'm, I'm doing Wordle right now. Like, I'm just sitting here. Like, it's fine. Like. Let me just tell you about how uh, how it was supposed to go. She's like, I don't care. Anyway, so that time off might have refreshed him because he did some amazing things defensively on Luka that people really were wondering how he would neutralize him. And maybe he won't moving forward. Maybe Luka will have a coming out party at some point. 
But that unique challenge he took on and had like, I mean, a a thick Bible-sized book full of defensive sets that he threw out on the table for game one. They were just confused. Like, yo, you've thrown literally 10 different schemes at us, and it's the first quarter. What's happening here? This is the type of elite Warriors team defensively that we saw in the first 20 games where they were stifling, they were blitzing, everybody's picking up on help. Like, guys are tagging. Like, everybody knows what they're supposed to do. They're the ones doing the confusing instead of being the ones confused. The versatility really was some of the best that I've seen in a long time. They were limiting all of the shot creation from Luka, putting him into bad spaces where he only had a limited amount of options instead of all the options that he's normally available to have. And the stat that mattered the most to me defensively was that Golden State had 15 blocks and steals to Dallas's seven. Just more defensively active. Offensively, Golden State basically blew Dallas's doors off, not through one guy going nuclear, but exactly what got them there the first 20 games as well. Spreading the wealth out. Balanced. All seven Warriors who got 13 minutes of time or more scored in double figures. None scoring more than 21. So for anyone who had Steph's prop at 26 and a half, that was a loser. Game was not close after the first quarter, even though Dallas was trying to bring it back, bring it back, claw in, they Cut it to five. Somebody said this on Twitter, which is so true. If you are down by 10 to the Warriors, you're really down by 20. (laughs) If you're tied with the Warriors, you're really down 10. In order for things to be actually equal, truthfully, where it's like 0-0, you need to be up 10. You need to be up 15 because the Warriors have a way of, of just a flurry of shot making where you look up. You take a drink, and they're up 40. Like, that's just them. So you need to figure out a way to get going early, or it's night-night sleep mask for you. Dallas was awful shooting the ball, 36% from the floor, 23% from three. And Dallas had almost twice as many three-point attempts as the Warriors, and they were open. They were open. It was gross. Like, I saw Reggie Bullock shoot four threes in a row, open, all misses. I saw Luca shoot three threes in a row, all misses. I mean, when does that happen? When does that ever happen? Something's wrong with Luca too. You know that. His shoulder's banged up. He's got a rake scar across his face now, which he thinks is pretty cool. He's probably drinking a beer right now, just getting his stretch on, doing a little cold tub. But I expect Jason Kidd to come back with his own counters in game two. Super excited to see how this goes. I want to see I want to see both series go seven, truthfully. And that should be something for us to keep in mind because if you're a Golden State Warrior fan and you think this is just how it's gonna be, I regret to inform you that Dallas has been has lost every single game one so far this playoff series by I want to say game one of the first round wasn't by a ton, but game one in the Sun Series was by a lot. They've lost multiple games by 10 or more. And they've won some games, too, by 10 or more. So look out, Golden State. Dallas is coming. That's all the time that we have for the uh, Heat Check podcast. We'll be back on Monday with a new episode. Follow us on social. Tell all your friends. On this heat check and Trista Crick on TikTok as things heat up and we get closer to the NBA Finals. Maybe I could squeeze in a game or two depending on who gets there. 
We will see you on Monday, friends. Thanks again for listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.